Welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. My name is Daniel Whitehead. I am the CEO of Sanctuary Mental Health Ministries. And during this season, I'm also your podcast host. Uh, today, I'm joined by a friend of mine, Cathy uh, Spooner. Cathy is the Director of Counseling Services at the Association of Christian Counselors in the UK. Cathy, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you for inviting me. I'm thrilled. Cathy, did I get your job title correct? No, you didn't, but it doesn't matter. I'll explain a bit more. Yeah, so I'm the Director of Counselling and Psychotherapy. So we don't actually offer a service. So we're a member. So the Association of Christian Counsellors is a membership body. So it has kind of two main kind of functions. So one, it regulates counselling in the sense that we hold an accredited register. Under in the UK, we have something called the Professional Standards Authority. And so they regulate the statutory regulated people like doctors and nurses and clinical psychologists. But in the UK, anybody can set themselves up as a counsellor. So what the Professional Standards Authority have done, they introduced an accredited register scheme for um, people in health and social care, which counselling is one. And we're the only Christian organisation to have won a register. So that's really good. So we have about 850 registered counsellors under the PSA scheme. And so part of our job is to uphold the standards of the register. So you can't join it unless you have professional qualification, you have to have supervision, so you have to sign up to commit to standards of practice. So supervision, um, continuous professional development, have insurance, um, and have most importantly, that you work under a kind of umbrella ethics. Um, so that's so that's part of our job is to keep that register uh, safe so that members of the public who come to us looking for a Christian counsellor or counsellor who identifies as Christian um, can be assured that they're properly trained. And then the other side of the organisation is to really have a kind of belonging and fellowship membership so that we support, sustain and equip counsellors to practice well and to keep this wonderful conversation about how does my faith inform my practice and how does my kind of psychological understanding inform my faith. Um, so that's the kind of thing. And then the, the ACC itself is bigger than counselling because we have a pastoral care arm. So we want to be, if you like, the voice of psychological understanding into the church and we want to be the vo voice of faith and spiritual understanding into the kind of secular world of psychotherapy. So we try and bridge those kind of different but complementary worlds. That's so, that's so cool. Part. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. You are you are our people. This is, You're this all good. is <laughs> it's always great. good to belong. Psychologically, it's always good to belong. Yeah. It is. And theologically, yeah. it's good to belong. Yeah, so Kathy, one thing I wanted yeah. to chat to you about is you talked about uh your all the people in your organization are clinically trained and you were saying in the uk therapy is unregulated so people can be therapists in the uk without being clinically trained well they can i mean it's you know it's 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 incredibly risky but i could i could have no training and i could put a sign up on my door and say i'm a counselor uh, and wow. one of the one of the if you like the negative things that have happened as part of COVID is that people have tried to offer online training courses, you know, pay £250 and train to be a counsellor. Mm. And the other kind of phenomena that I'm noticing is a lot of people are offering therapy packages because mental health is big in the news. Mm. We talked about this mental health pandemic following the 
the pandemic of the actual disease itself. And so I think yeah. entrepreneurs are saying, uh, come buy a bundle, you know, buy a bundle of six hours of counselling. And I've looked really carefully at their sites and there's nothing about who they're using. Wow. So there's, and there's no way you can join as a therapist. So I can't see what standards they're using. So you can imagine that they might be giving people, I don't know. Yeah. But, but, but you just don't know. Now it exactly. And it allows it to happen. So people could be paying, I don't know, £350 to, to, to speak to somebody, you know, who might have had six weeks training. I mean, it's wow. really dangerous and really difficult. So the government are trying to raise awareness of this through the PSA. And we definitely as professional bodies, not just the ACC, but all the other professional bodies in the UK are trying to raise awareness. But for the person on the street, they're so vulnerable to, um, yeah, to, to the, and I noticed actually, I was, I very rarely watch television just because of time. I love the telly, but I don't get enough time. But there was an advert for therapy on the television as well. And it was one of these services, a bundle service. It's, yeah. Wow. That strikes me at the risk of stating the obvious, but that, that, that is a, a huge challenge for the mental health conversation in, I mean, anywhere, I guess, but, but in the church, I, I guess, because it, so in our experience at Sanctuary, reductionistic conversations can often happen in churches. Yeah. Again, at the risk yeah. of stating the obvious, it's, yeah. it's all too easy for people to take a one dimensional approach to a multi-dimensional yeah. uh, subject, which is a person, right? Uh, yeah. uh, biological, spiritual, yeah. psychological, you know, all of being, yeah, with a, a whole being. and a future. So a person yeah. in time, yeah, not just a person, but a person in time. So that narrative, which, I mean, it seems implicit, but the implicit narrative of, I don't know how it's being sold, but hey, buy these six sessions and we'll fix your problems, um, which may not be how it's packaged. But it strikes me as a strange and really challenging for you because you value the clinical, yeah. which obviously we value. We, yeah. it's, it's a hallmark of our organization that everything we do gets reviewed by clinicians, clinicians yeah. who are doing the work. Um, but that seems like that has what kind of conversations are you involved with around this? Are there, uh, do your, does your organization get challenged from, let's say, people who aren't qualified? Do they, is there any conversation around trying to um, regulate these things? You've you mentioned that yeah. there are things going on, but yeah. so it comes up regularly in Parliament. Should we, should we, not regularly, but I mean, it came up, the last time it came up was in February in the House of Lords. And and because the BBC had been doing quite a big campaign around this and they had several radio programmes on counselling and how people had been damaged by going to counsellors who weren't properly qualified and weren't regulated and weren't operating under standards of ethics. And as a result of that, a question was raised in the House of Lords in February, just before lockdown. And it was confirmed that the government had no plans to regulate counselling. So, so it is a problem. Why not? What would be there? Why wouldn't they not want to do that? Is it going to annoy too many people who are already unregulated counsellors? Why, why, why would they not regulate it? I honestly don't know the answer, but I think there are quite a lot of this. this the person who responded it to in the House of Lords said almost like it's a consumer's market. That was the argument. It was, you know, and if people want to buy snake oil, then they'll buy snake oil. <laughs> 
And I wow. think you might have even used that term. And and then you've got this whole history of, if you like, sort of counselling has, it's a Cinderella profession. So if you're a clinical psychologist or counselling psychologist, you go down a, a regulated route. But once you, when you're kind of rookie and you think, uh, I want to train to help people in psychological profession, unless you know that, you've got this, sense of, well actually I'll train to be a counsellor and, and for counselling psychology and to a degree for clinical psychology some of the training overlaps it's the same territory it's a human being as you've just said who exists in time with a past and um but the counselling has always been this Cinderella so you pay thousands of pounds to train and then you find that nobody wants to fund counselling so that's another big mm. so the burden of paying for counselling either rests with the client who has to be able to afford it, or with a counsellor or the counselling agency. So we have lots of affiliates who operate in a world to kind of serve people. So they have to raise funds or a counsellor has to have a sliding scale or operate on a low, no fee or a low fee basis. Hmm. Whereas beside that is the NHS with the psychiatry services, some of which involve clinical psychologists. So you've got this kind of, yeah, you've got the, the kind of official routes to mental health and well-being, but they cannot deal with the demand. So the PSA yeah. are trying to say to the UK, you know, you've got 40, probably with all the counselling registers together, you've probably got something like 60,000 well-trained, qualified, professionally accountable counsellors that can be used this mental hmm. health crisis but there seems to be this kind of complete disconnect about how you can fund these people to deliver the work and then counsellors are kind of like almost squabbling between themselves not really that's that's a wrong kind of analogy but saying we want to be paid but but and seeing that the problem of being payment is with the client or with their professional bodies or with someone but actually it's yeah it's a problem it's a wow. problem that can be solved the problem of pay is just a problem to be solved, isn't it? But at the yeah, moment, yeah, yeah. the burden lays on the client or lays on the on the um, counsellor. And I would love the church in in the same way that it tackles issues to do with poverty, to tackle the mm -hmm. issues of mental health and begin to fund or support counsellors working. Yeah. And I, I know churches... I know churches here in Vancouver who do that. They have a, I know one church has a $10,000 budget a year, which is given for people to access therapy. And I know the pastor says it's nowhere near enough, but yeah. it's, a, exactly. it's a start. And it's yeah. our intention is to, is to increase that and improve yeah. that so people can access yeah. it when needed. It, it does strike me at the risk of stating the obvious, but it's a, there are so many, uh, yeah, like, interesting angles that, that, that this brings up for me I, when I think about you know basically it's implicitly saying that clinical therapy is not like proper medicine or it's not like a, it, that's what it says to me if it's if it's like you would never you would never have a, a buyer's market or people peddling snake oil in the medical profession you wouldn't yeah. have people saying I'm a doctor that's no, pretty regulated yeah yeah. yeah, and the government say, oh, well, it's up to them. It's a free market. People yeah. can go to that person who claims to be a doctor. Um, so that's profoundly troubling. And you, it, the cynical part of me thinks, is there, is it really an economical decision? Is it like, well, we can't fund this, so we're just going to let it be and let people make up their own minds? But the other part of me that, that yeah. says, you know, I don't think it's enough, for, as we've said about the holistic nature of a person, um, it's not enough to just 
keep this uh, vocation, this much needed vocation in isolation. So a person has a mental health challenge and they go and see a, a clinician um, and they'll fix all their problems. It's like, well, no, a person is holistic. We need great therapists and doctors, but we also need great spiritual communities. We need yeah. great communities. We need uh, to address issues of poverty, uh, injustice, that all of these things are interconnected. And um, it strikes me that it's really interesting for you at the ACC that you have this sort of, um, uh, this interdisciplinary approach. So your yeah. clinicians yeah. who choose to identify, I want to be known as a Christian in the context of my vocation. Um, I wonder why, what was, it may be obvious, but what was the inspiration for that? Why Why did you as as a therapist feel like, I, I want to bring my faith into my this clinical yeah. vocation? Okay. I don't want to lose some of the points that you've raised. So I've for some of them we yeah, yeah. Where you want. some time because there's a lot in there but no I'm happy to say so people will have different stories and different journeys so I I had faith as a young person and then I probably fell out of faith around about 14 for lots of interesting reasons but I won't go into them it and so I lived most of my adult life without having faith having probably a deep longing for it but not not really having it and intellectually not not thinking that that would ever be possible for me and then due to some kind of life changes and circumstances I came into a position where I could retrain so I'd worked in IT so I decided to train as a counsellor I will get to the point so in my first training as a counsellor we I had a conversion experience it was incredibly powerful and it was followed up by some other very very powerful experiences and the great blessing I had is that I was being in a tr I was held by a trainee organization that wasn't Christian but had a great respect for faith and religion so the training my training tutor she's Pamela Gawler Wright and quite well known in the UK in some in some areas she was very affirming of the of the experiences I had and that was very helpful and from that, I just stopped doing all that I was doing in order to really focus on trying to discern what God wanted from my life. So it was a very difficult decision. I stopped training to be a counsellor. I spent two years in a kind of no man's land, which I'm quite a driven person. That was really tough for me. And then I through various routes, I had another experience that led me to Waverley Abbey College and the London School of Theology, where I trained to be a counsellor. So for me, it was part of it was part of a very, very deliberate act to say, I am a disciple. And I my first calling is to, and this sounds very highfalutin, and I'm really not very, very holy in lots of ways, but and, you know, and there's better to be that say, you can't say that, Kathy, but it's true that I just wanted to honour God and join a Christian organisation. And I did that with all the fears that I may never get any work because people think, oh, Christian therapists, that's a bit dodgy. You don't really want to employ them. Um, so there was definitely a fear about, yeah, not not being employable because I'd identified myself as a Christian. And also it was a it was a stepping out in faith literally against the kind of normal counselling narrative, which is you don't disclose anything about yourself to clients. 
So the very fact that you are a member of a Christian organisation already identifies you as Christian, and somehow that's a problem, because somehow you have to present yourself as a tabula rasa, blank slate kind of thing. And so it was stepping out of that sort of common common kind of belief in counselling. So, yeah, so it really was a, it was an act of faith that, they, that, you know, that's where I want to put my flag. I didn't, you know, I didn't know really much about the ACC, but I knew I needed to be a member of it. And people have different reasons. And, and, you know, one of the, you know, one of the kind of what, how I, how I would describe the organization is like two, one, one is you have a belonging membership. So you're part of a bigger fellowship of people who are sharing your profession and doing this lovely kind of dialogue all the time about what it's like, what is it to be in the tribe of Christians and very different, you know, we've got really different, we've got Catholics and sort of high church Protestants and kind of, you know, fringe kind of churches and, and, and that can be a bigger difference and it can be between being a Christian and a secular person sometimes, you know, the, yeah. the bridging yeah. between those different worlds is yeah. amazing and people of different, different cultural backgrounds, you know, different colours of their skin, different all of that so there's no homogeneity in ACC it's a it's a kind of you know world of um that's open to anybody who's a professional counseling and identifies as a Christian but then the other side and this is where we serve the world is that there are people who want to find a Christian counselor for whatever reason it could be because they're Christian it could be because they trust Christians it could be because God's leading them in, I mean, often people come to counselling because they're spiritually seeking. So it could yeah. be God's leading them to yeah. find someone. But of course, our members can work in lots of different settings as well. And one of the one of the really interesting high-level conversations, and I, and in a way, I think we have to we have to really thank the diversity narrative around this and some of the work that Muslim stuff have done in this country is that all of a sudden people in positions of power are more open to the narrative of wouldn't it be good if people who were Christians could find people who were Christians to administer to their mental health and well-being wouldn't that be a good thing and that's beginning and because and also it's beginning so at the moment we're having discussions with Public Health England which is just extraordinary if even it, Two, a year and a half ago, you would have said that we would be having discussions with Public Health England because of our BAME members. Oh, okay. Yeah. Of, they're suddenly realising that a lot of health workers are from black ethnic minority backgrounds. A lot of families have been disproportionately affected by the death of loved ones in those backgrounds. Mm. They're now seeing ACC as a resource for that workforce so rather than thinking yeah. kind of mental health as being this neutral zone where it doesn't really matter you kind of like just you know put in your slot and you have your therapy it's like oh people need to kind of connect in ways which are different they need to connect across sameness ethnic sameness christian sameness faith sameness so that's a completely different thing that's happening and it's and it's really exciting and it's wow. really, really, it's kind of so obvious at some levels, isn't it? It's yeah, it is. Some levels. It... And that lovely, all the, you know, all the people that have been just uncomfortable about what faith means and is it oppressive? And are we allowed to do that? And yeah, 
you know, is it kind of mad to kind of somehow somehow recognize supernatural beliefs when we live in a real material universe and I don't know my head can't deal with that are suddenly kind of saying oh yeah we can do that that's okay yeah and this is the one go on this is interesting I'm just it's just making me think some certain vocal I'm saying vocal minority in the church the big c church would uh, I know because I know some people who do it would sort of belittle academia or they would go, oh, that's too, you know, too much here. But it's, it's, it always strikes me as, as funny that the ac- academia, research, academics are understanding the importance of spirituality because there's, there's all kinds of research that supports it. And it seems to me like just anthropologically, how, how a person understands themselves. And it, it maybe it does take black and minority ethnic communities to, to show us that actually spirituality <laughs> is one of the most foundational ways I make sense of the world. The way I make... So to to just eject it doesn't make sense on a number of levels, um, but certainly on an impact level for the culture to do that. And it's interesting yeah. to me that, that spirituality is being acknowledged in, in many sectors yeah. because it has to be. Yeah. Um, there's no avoiding it. The, the challenge is often spirituality is simply labelled as kind of it's the space that you can think whatever you want and no one is allowed to challenge you on um and yet of course it's it's way more than that you know for me as a christian yeah um it's it's way more than that my spirituality is about you know walking or or, or walking with god walking with the one who made and holds all things together um so i think that's wonderful that's that's amazing and i agree with you there's and I think this is a deeper movement of recognition, whereas I think one of the problems that I found when I was doing more teaching is that people would have a research study, for example, and they would go through its kind of standard research thing. Uh, do people feel better after praying? Yes, no. Um, and so in a way you get into what Kerning has talked about this. It's like almost like at this bind where if you define spirituality as good mental health, then spirituality must be good for mental health. Mm. And yet we know that spirituality <laughs> is demanding of us, you know, mm. and particularly in, in faith context, you know, to be a disciple is not to have an easy life. It's yeah. not to have a life in which the, that you know, the kind of, if you like, the secular world would say, well, that's good mental health, you know. Um yeah. Not to restore something to a kind of reduced sense of the self. It's what Pargament talks about creating small gods, you know, the God yeah. that always kindly, or, you know, the, the kind of spirituality that always makes you feel good and balanced and then kind of Zen thing, you know. Yeah, happiness. has kind of got mixed up in that Zen, happiness, neutrality, and it becomes another aspiration. It becomes another yeah. thing you can buy from your app. And I know that those things are helpful. Mm. But but they can be shallow and, yeah. and, and, you know, true spirituality in a faith context should unsettle. Absolutely. Well, and it does cause us, doesn't it uh, causes us to ask the questions of the place of suffering of the place of pain. Yeah. It causes yeah. us to ask yeah. those metaphysical, uh, you know, uh, questions or, you know, around purpose around, yeah. and, and that's why we love John, right? John Swinton, who yeah, would, you know, constantly, yeah. 
you're yeah. speaking to joy over happiness and joy yeah. is a different thing and yeah. and pushing back against that overly medicalized view of personhood yeah. that we are more than just biological that health and wealth are not the hallmarks of uh of uh wellness but yeah. but um you know uh, to be at peace with god and and to be at peace with god means to be at peace with others and to be at peace with yourself yes so this relational sense of wellness is really what we're talking about and that actually has very little to do with how much money is in your bank and how much biomedical health yeah. that you have um you know and i can say from my experience of traveling the world and meeting people in india and uh, and central africa and some of the the people who are most impoverished have been some of the most yeah. well put together people i've met the yeah. people i want to be like um so yeah yeah and i think it also it also means that that we recognize that things are real so oppression is real so um and it has real consequences it has spiritual consequences and it has um you know that, that in the kind of whole sense of of the world so i think there is this call around if you're a Christian in particular, and it could be true for other religions as well, but that you are concerned about the poor, you are concerned about the oppressed. And, yeah. it's, and, it's, and I think one of my kind of defining metaphors is what the Pope said about the church being a field hospital in battle, mm. after a battle, and that you, you know, it's no good just checking on whether somebody's got diabetes or not. You have to heal the wounds and you have mm. to warm the hearts. And you can't do anything until you've done that, you know, and that's and and so that sense in which happiness is not, you know, sadness is OK. It's OK to be sad, yeah. you need to be angry. You know, yeah. people should be angry about what happened with George Floyd and the other yes. things. You know, there's a righteous anger, there's a proper anger, and that should yeah. motivate people to do things. So we're not yeah, restoring something to make it neutral. We're kind of empowering people to follow yes. vocation or, and that's in the kind of Christian worldview. But if I was, as a person who is, a, as a therapist who is a Christian, I would, part of my, part of the way I've been taught to see people is to see people through the eyes of God or through, and particularly through the eyes of Jesus. That's mm. how I see someone. That's how I, I would want my default, sight to be so i would see that anybody had intrinsic worth and value and had a purpose in life yes but that um, had impacted them you know and that's where you heal the wounds don't you yeah and I would it is and it's it's so in these days kathy hearing you speak i i just think that you know endowing people with their personhood with their intrinsic value with their um uh, you know they they every person is made in the image of god and yeah. when we hear certain vocal people dehumanizing people um they say it's okay because they do it to their enemies so you know we we see this for me as a person of faith i find it profoundly offensive um mm. that you would you know despite how terrible human beings may be to other people we can never lose sense of the the innate value of a of a human person uh, and and that's an ethical position and it's interesting to me that when you go back to the work of the ACC, you talk about this ethical yeah. uh, standing, right? This is this yeah. is the key thing. Do, do you subscribe to this? And yeah, um, yeah and these things are all interconnected. 
Yeah, and that has at its heart the autonomy of the other. So the God-given freedom. Yes, absolutely. The God-given freedom to be who you are, Daniel. You know, who you were made to yeah. be. And totally. And not imposing. So, and I think, you know, part of my, I mean, part of my, the, the problem that I saw with religion is this idea of imposing. So we impose yeah. image, you know, so I'm a minister and I pose, uh, or anybody's, and kind of my old-fashioned understanding of, of, of actually experience of how things work is that I impose an image on you of what I think you ought to be. Mm. And you see it with parents as well, you know, and I do it as myself as a, so rather than let this child grow to be, yeah. to be, I want them to be artistic, <laughs> you know, whatever, yeah. well-behaved, bright, you know, whatever. So we're always imposing these images. So rather than saying, well, what image is this person? And it's really, yeah. I'm a grandmother now. So I just delight in these tiny little people who are all terribly naughty a lot of the time and think, yeah, oh, yeah. wonderful, they put stickers over the wall, it's wonderful, look at that expression, yeah. defiance and naughtiness or whatever it is, you know. But it's that sense, yeah. isn't it? So, and I think counsellors are really well trained, really well trained. And it's, and for me, it's that kenosis model that Jesus said, yeah, I'm very good. emptying myself in order to serve you. I'm emptying all my paradigms about what it is to be good or not good or how you ought to live your life or anything. I'm, mm. just, you know, so I can take on the manner of a servant. And the mm. other thing that I think is always a model for me is the one of the Good Samaritan. So the Good Samaritan came and he didn't try and convert that person. He didn't try and make them something else. He gave them what they needed. He gave yeah. the person what they needed, which was be taken to a place where he could recover and enough money to, you know. So so those two yeah. really helpful models of what what professional Christian counseling is about. Those yeah, that's your models for me. But that's what, brilliant. I think that that thing when you talk about your grandchildren and just that love you have for them, it, it reveals to us what it's like for God to work yeah. with us for a yeah. start. That's that's the first piece of revelation I take from that. The, the second thing is certainly with a good Samaritan and your disposition to your grandchildren and, and your children and, and me yeah. to my children yeah. is love is the foundation from which we find we discover encounter truth um it, it, and it has to be so in, until someone is in a loving environment and there's all kinds of amazing psychological research which has taken place in the last 20 years that shows that you know that enforces this idea that we are relational beings we need to be connected we need to be attached this is this is in the bible this yeah. is just classic a theological yeah. standard orthodox christian position it is from that foundation of connection, of being seen as we are, of being loved as we are, through which we encounter love and truth and can then make, I think, an informed position on how we're going to interact with this world, which for me looks like walking in the way of Christ or at least trying to yeah. Yeah. Um, and being secure in that love. And I just think for you to frame your clinical work as a way of partnering with God in endowing people with God's image, that being a driver, it, it seems obvious to me, but it's a beautiful thing to just to just say that's what it is. I, I think that's spectacular. Oh well, yeah, and I think and I think that is knitted into our training when we train in the cook, but it's kind of knitted into into 
well, most of the councillors I know. <laughs> so oh. yeah, I can't kind of speak for every single every single Christian councillor. But I think the sad thing is if we look, because I know that one of your interests was in what may be blocking people who are Christians. Yeah, what are the challenges? So some of the challenges of, I think, people being resistant to counselling is this, like, well, there's many different um, things, but one of them is the, the kind of inbuilt kind of schemas we have that if we're Christian, we should be able to solve our problems through and with mm. God. And that God doesn't give us anything that we can't deal with. And I think that's a really problematic point of scripture, depending on how you interpret it. Because I could testify just through looking at suicide and, and self-destructive behaviours that people do experience things that they cannot cope with. Yes. And that is a function of oppression and it's a function of abuse and it's a function of neglect, all those things you were talking about. Yes. So if you've got an imprint of love from those very, I think we're born with an imprint of love, but if that mm -hmm. is built and, and, and you know, nurtured, then you're going to be able to be able to deal with things much better yeah. if you, than, it, than if you don't. And, and so, yeah, you, it's, so I think, yeah, so I think for some Christians, they kind of hold on to this idea that, and, and also a fear that they will be led away from faith. Hmm. Yes. And and I guess with it implicit or often sadly explicit, a, a message that reinforces that overly reductionistic perspective that says we can fix all your problems. I think that's, problems, yeah. that, there's a temptation there. Uh, not that not that we do that we we do the opposite at sanctuary we say it's not that your journey is not straightforward you but there is still god can still be in it with you and is with you yeah. with you in it and there are things you have to teach the body of christ in the midst of that so there is this redemptive power of a person's mental health challenge if it's framed in a way that someone can get the support and care that they need in their recovery um actually the church should be learning from people in the midst of you know these challenges yeah. um, i think learning there are... consequences of certain types of behaviors that we are formed we are we are literally formed as human beings and that means we have a psychological part of us yeah so the some of the kind of behaviors that seem on the surface like they are so healing and so good can actually be personally very damaging so you know, just one thing that I can remember, for example, just I can't remember who said it. And so it doesn't relate to anybody particularly that I know was just going to a kind of, you know, a youth event and in a kind of group of maybe 30 or 40 people being called out. You know, everybody was called out to kind of speak out things that they needed to and being talked about being sexually abused as a child in front mm. of relative strangers away from home with no follow-up and all of this can seem when you're in the moment yeah it's very releasing and very healing but it's other things as well it's very exposing and yeah you know trauma is a real thing and and relational impacts of things like childhood sexual abuse are it's almost like abuse is a sacred part of us yes yes yeah so you know, we need we need a kind of richer response. We need the response of praying and healing and all of those mm. things, but we need the response to explore 
what what was that about and how has that impacted you and how has that impacted you relationally I mean part of counseling and part of spiritual direction and part of obviously the life of a disciple is personal growth growth as well as spiritual growth but one of the things that counseling training teaches you is to to not assume that your experience is the same as your experience so you know people would for example have in a church setting said things to me like just imagine you're being washed in the blood of christ now that might have been a really really healing metaphor for them that might have been really good but do you know what it's not good for me but there's that whole thing about their ministry in which if we can be more gentle and tentative and and be more invitational so god God the Father shows himself through the Son, and you've got the Holy Spirit as his interconnection. But we've also got God as light, the light of the world. We have God as word. Now, those aren't personal relationships. So if you are somebody who's had an experience of very damaging relationships, maybe God the Father or even Jesus isn't helpful. But actually, to really be able then to think of light, to think of God as light, or to think of God as truth, or love or yes. you've got some kind of issues to do with maleness to think of god as the mother bear the wood yep. the hen you know so so there's this the bible's got this incredible richness of metaphors but we tend to just focus on some and not and not expand but think how much you can grow personally if you think of god as light and it's really interesting to be Kathy, something else that you seem to be saying, which, well, I would say in response to what you've been saying, is that many of the ways we now understand personhood, particularly from a psychological level, because we've learned, I think I said it before, we've learned more about the human brain in the last 20 years than in the rest of human history. But when we uh, reread the Bible in light of what we now know about the human brain, like neuroplasticity, for instance, this idea that we can uh, rework neuropathways to, uh, you know, we can retrain our brains um, with the right environments in a positive way. Yeah. And I think of Paul's renewing of the mind. I just go, well, it, it matches. And okay. and yet verses like that in my upbringing, not because anyone did it on purpose, well-meaning people who, you know, were doing the best they could, but they sort of taught me that the renewing of the mind was only this abstract thing. It was this kind of get zapped with a prayer and your mind is renewed and you're fixed now. Um, Whereas this idea that it can be a journey of recovery and God can be in the pro that's the way God works. Or one of the way God works is through a process and that your, your neurons can be reworked because that's how God has fearfully and wonderfully made us. This is, this is the amazing thing about human beings, how, how God has made us. Well, I think we've, we've kind of created this separation i mean just philosophically between body and spirit and we've devalued the body but of course the body is the enabler of the spirit because we don't yes have. that's right there is this kind of false falsehood and if you look even just you know there's 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 that thing that i always love is that bit where elijah runs away and where he's tended to by the angels and he's rested and he's fed and he hides away in the cave in the holy mountain and he speaks with God. I mean, that's a model of recovery. If anything, yeah. that is a model of recovery from trauma, as a traumatic experience, huh. you go and rest and you're known yes. and you reconnect with the source of your purpose and mission in life. And you chat about it. You know, you tell. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And, and God provides for him nutritionally. 
there is a there's a over the eight you know, yeah it's isn't that, that holistic sense it's it, wonderful yeah so yeah so there's well, yeah so there's so, i mean there's so much richness of the of those kind of two worlds coming together of if you like the kind of world of our christian tradition both scripturally but also also in the experience of people who wrestled with it mm. you know if you read mm. the wonderful books that rowan williams has written you know that yeah at the desert fathers or whatever about about really connecting with with what it is to be a christian yeah that's being community and it's following christ and i love he always has this word of somehow through the muddle and it is a muddle you know if we're honest mm. with ourselves it's a muddle I don't often know from one moment to the next whether I'm really honouring God or not, or just honouring myself, or I'm tired, or I'm distracted, or whatever. But through the muddle of this, somehow, something good could come. Yeah. We stick to community, and if we kind of refresh ourselves. And the other writings that I'm really drawn to is the Catholic spiritual writers who talk about desire. Mm. Because... In my upbringing, anyway, desire was you could be really suspicious of desire. So anything that you wanted was bound to be not good. You know, we just just, you know, cut to the chase. Desire was dangerous. And these Catholic spiritual writers talk about, you know, desire. The God puts the desires on our heart. And if we can. And that's why I think it's a big thing about counseling. And I always work in my counseling practice. What is it you want? What is your deepest desire? Let's excavate all these desires. Yeah. Um, and there's a there's a there's a Quaker writer called Parker Palmer, and he said mm. he came to a point in his life where he realised that the life that he was living was not the life that wanted to live in him. Yeah, and that's a really powerful metaphor for me, and it's almost challenging me every day. And if we trust that the life that wants to live in him, or the life that wants to live in me, is God's life, and the other life is the life I structure to keep me safe with things because I'm frightened of what that life might be mm. or disallowed the possibility that I could live that kind of life, that I could be free. Because that's what God's promised to us, isn't it? That we could be yeah. live a life of freedom. Mm. Well, Cathy, thank you so much for um, what you've shared. I've had a few conversations with you before and I've always mm. found them so enriching and encouraging and, um, yeah, just so grateful for your work and the work of the ACC in, in being available to, to people of faith and, and of none yeah. and, and just bringing those two worlds together. Yeah. I'm uh, really excited at the possibilities there are for us to collaborate further in the future. And uh, just thank you so much. Sanctuary Mental Health Ministries exists to equip the church to be a sanctuary for all people at all stages of their mental wellness journeys. May this podcast encourage you to create safe space for your own story and the stories of others, as well as create change in communities that stigmatize those suffering with mental health challenges. The Sanctuary Course is a small group resource designed to help initiate and guide conversations about mental health and faith. It is a starting point, creating a base of shared knowledge from which churches can explore the next steps. Perhaps most importantly, through the simple act of talking openly about mental health, 
the course helps churches begin to create safe spaces for people to share their mental health stories and receive support in community. Each theme in the course is explored from a psychological, social, and theological perspective, and each session is accompanied by a compelling film focused on an individual story, a person of faith who has journeyed through mental health challenges. Interested in exploring the Sanctuary course for use in your community? Learn more at sanctuarycourse.com. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives 4.0 license. Don't change it or sell it, but please share it all you like.